So, and, and wine can be a, a mocker. Um, the scripture says you don't do anything that could be offensive to a brother, mm-hmm. and that a, a, an elder or deacon should not be given to anyone. So we don't want to do anything that could be an offense. And the day that we live in today, we have a lot of people that uh, that are alcoholics or have, have drug addictions, right. different things like that. And we certainly wouldn't want to be a stumbling block. Right. Because the Bible says if you cause your brother to stumble, then you sin against not just your brother, but you sin against God. Yeah. So it's and so I choose not to drink at all. I don't drink at all myself. I don't need it as a Christian. I don't. I don't need to drink. You know, it's not something that's necessary. And why? Why do it if it could cause something to happen to be yeah, offended? Because at the way, of course, that was kind of brought up. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine, and yeah. he did. But I don't believe it was fermented. He said, yes, it was. And he said, you have to show me that in the Bible. And they brought up where Noah got drunk. And that's in Genesis. Well, we know that drunk is... Drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And exactly. We've got plenty of scriptures there. That's why he said, he told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. It was kind of medication then, you know, right. uh, because they didn't have the medicine we had today. But uh, but the main thing is not to drink it in way. Also, uh, water wasn't fit to drink. Yeah, in, so in that part of the country. And also in Europe, even, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. When I yeah. got home and did my little research and posted a few things on Facebook and said, ha-ha, hello. Okay. Uh, anybody have any comment on that that you want to make? Okay. Uh, anybody else have something else? Come on, don't be shy tonight. Anybody on uh, on Skype have anything on their heart to, to speak up? Glad to have you here. If not, we'll go to, go to uh, the book of James. Anybody else have anything? I got one thing. You know, and, and, you know, most people, I mean, a lot of people don't follow Facebook, but I said that uh, okay, about prayer and how powerful it is, and and I uh, like during World War II, World War One, well, during World War II, uh, they uh, was had a prayer uh, thing every night, you know, at a certain time, and uh, throughout the country, and, and uh, uh, they really, you know, really believe that that helped England not get. Anyway, so now they're having at eight o'clock every night. Set your alarm for it, and then uh, at eight of eight o'clock, sit down and, and pray for this country. And uh, because that's their, you know, it's like a big prayer thing going around the country. Um, at eight o'clock. In the book of Peter. Book of what? Book of Peter. First Peter, chapter two. He instructs us in verse thirteen. <coughs> it says, um, verse thirteen says, "Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to them that, that are sent." by him for the punishment of evildoers and uh, for the prince praise of them that do well for so is the will of God that with well doing you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free as not using your liberty for a cloak uh, uh, 
of maliciousness, but his servants cry. So honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and, and honor the king. So it, it, it there tells BJ uh, that we, we are to pray for, for our country, we are to pray for those leaders, we are to submit to them, as long as it doesn't go against the word of God. Right. Yeah, so it's, 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 if you ask him whether to pray, yeah, we pray for for all, you know. The, 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 the well-being of our country. The well-being of oh, yeah. what the Lord has. Yeah. So First Thessalonians 5 says to pray without ceasing. So huh? you shouldn't have to set your clock because First Thessalonians well, yeah, says to pray without ceasing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's good. Yeah. You had something you said? Well, I was just curious as to which time zone you're talking about. Is it just, just the U.S. or just worldwide? Is it the U.S.? Which time zone do we set the clock? Oh, by Central Time. Well, what's been going on this week, guys? Had a good week? Had a good week? Everybody had, had a good week? Everything going good? Well, we had a good time last night, huh, Don? Yeah. Cedric, had a good time? Praise the Lord. What'd you eat? Huh? What'd y'all have to eat? Well, Don brought some barbecue chicken, and you'd want to know that, Larry. Uh, Don brought barbecue chicken. They had jambalaya over there, and it was, and uh, had potato salad. Uh, but, you know, we had more food than we had people, I think. Uh, yeah. We had plenty to eat. We were there. We never went short on food. Cedric wanted to surprise us, and I'll tell us that they already had food over there. <laughs> we had a double blessing. Yeah, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. Good to share the word and to share God's word together with a blessing. Anybody read anything this week you want to, you want to elaborate on? Anybody have something they've been reading? What you've been reading this week? First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Interesting chapter. Uh, what you reading there? All of it? Yeah, the whole thing. First John uh, chapter three is very strong. Um, first of all, we talked about last night in First John chapter five. John writes that I've written these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. A lot of people think, well, you can't really know if you're going to heaven. You know, you can hope you're going to heaven, but you can't really know it. But John says, yes, you are to know what it takes to get to heaven. He wrote those things in First John. And as you go through First John, I'm going to bring you up, up to date to chapter 3. Chapter 1 is talking about walking in the light as he is in the light. Uh, that the one who says that, he walk, that he's in the light and walks in darkness, he's a liar and the truth's not in him. The scripture says in First, first John chapter 1. So he's, he's saying there that uh, you know, a person can call himself a Christian, but if they're still walking in sin, they're really not a Christian. They're lying to themselves and to others. And then he goes on and he says in verse 9, he said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if a person turns from their old sin and confesses that they've sinned and asks God for, for forgiveness and abandons that sin, like it says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sin shall not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes his sin shall be shown mercy. So once a person does that, then he doesn't have sin anymore because he's confessed it all. First John chapter two, what's that being? I was gonna say, um, in first, first John chapter three, uh, verse three, um, it's a real pretty strong verse. And, every, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And that's a new King James version is what it is. But you know, for the longest time, 
It was basically, well, when God's ready to take this from me, he's going to do it. And this says very clearly that, you know, we purify ourselves. And, and how, how pure is that? As he is. He was pretty pure. I think he was 100%. I mean, so it, it, I, I read First John chapter 3 Saturday morning on the treadmill, and there's just so much in it that it's just like, it goes against everything that's being preached. You know, it's really... Unfortunately, Dan, you're right. Uh, most people feel that um, you, you could never be, to, it's almost blasphemy to think you could be as pure as Jesus, but, but he actually, you, but he actually you, commands you to. It tells you to purify yourself. Yeah. I mean, that you, you can't you're wait doing. on God. That, that process of the sanctification that is preached is, you know. Let me give you a scripture that goes with that too, Ben. If you'll turn over, this, we were talking about it this morning with the group. We had a great group meeting this morning uh, with all the brethren. I see Chris is there. Wesley's there now. Uh, I think David Kohler is there. We all had a meeting this morning. Uh, most of the guys were, were uh, and women were in it. Second uh, Corinthians chapter seven. We talked about this morning. As a matter of fact, these guys all remember that. Uh, it talked about first of all. It said we, we talked about how it's chapter uh, six of Second Corinthians. It talked about what fellowship does a believer have with an unbeliever, or one that's walking in light with one that's walking in darkness. Yeah. There's no fellowship there. Sure. And the Lord commands there in that chapter, he says, come out from among them and be separate. Don't hang out with people that are not living for Jesus Christ, that are living in sin. Now, you can't altogether do that, else you can't even go to the store. So you're going to run into these people, but your, your opportunity, your, what we're to do is we're to share the Lord with them and share our lives with them. Unless you're married to a person like that, then you are to continue the fellowship with that, of course. But here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says here that there's promise to those that will come out from among them and be separate. He says, I will be your God and you shall be my sons and my daughters. I will come and, and, and live in you. Like he says in John 14, 23, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? And I and my father will then come and live in you. Before in the Old Testament, God didn't come and live in a person. In the Old Testament, he had to go to a temple. And some people still kind of have that same mentality. Well, I got to go to this certain church or temple and think, well, that's where God is. No, God's not dwelling in temples made with hands, he said. But he says that in these last days, when you come to Jesus, now, God doesn't dwell with sin. So if you live in sin, you're not the temple of God. But he says, you are the temple of God. If, you, if you're holy unto the Lord, then God comes and lives in you. And this is the promise that he's talking about when he says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And then the next, the first verse of chapter 7 says, look at this, Ben, this, you'll like this. He says, having therefore these promises, what promises? That if you, you'll separate yourself in me, in the Lord, he says, that he'll come and live in you. He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So he's saying, well, who is he saying to do it? Us. We do it. We're not waiting for God to do some, some miracle in us to do it. He says, you do it. Just like he said, draw near to me, then I'll draw near to you because we're fellow workers together with God. Yeah, you wanted to say something, Wes? Hello, Wes. You must be on mute. I don't hear you. You have a speaker turned up, uh, Sandra? Turn it up, Alan. Give it, give it here. Go 
Philadelphia louder now. Go louder. Can you hear me now? Yes, yeah, louder. Go to five. Louder? 35. Go ahead. You're right on top of okay. the Cedric. So in, uh, in James, to go along with what you're saying, in James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, yeah, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So really out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, if you take it back like what you were like what you were referring to when we went over in chapters uh, uh, earlier on, um, it talks about when does light have fellowship with darkness, you know? And so um, you can't be double-minded. You can't serve two masters. And that's really what he's telling you to cleanse yourself from. That's how you, you're cleansing your hands, you sinners, and purifying your hearts. you double-minded. If you're trying to serve two masters, if you're trying to serve God and man, and if you're trying to, to, to live for the world and live for God at the same time, uh, you're never going to become clean. And if you go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 1, and Don probably knows where I'm going with this. Um, it says in, in verse 16, maybe Don can take it from there, but that they all connect together because it's telling you, you have to do it. Um, it's not God, like what Ben's saying, it's not God doing it for you, it's you doing it. So verse 16, if you want to read there, Doc. Yeah, he says, he says verse 16, a watch you make clean, put away uh, the evil of your doings from before your eyes, uh, uh, create, um, what does it say? I can cease, to, cease to do evil, which is the same thing. My eyes, I put some new context in there. Reading oh, good. Cease to do evil. Now, what does cease to do evil mean? Stop. Stop sinning, right? Evil is sin. Cease to mean stop, right? So if it cease to do evil, then he goes on and he says, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fathers, plead for the, will, for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your, sin, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient. But if you be willing to be, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, the sword shall not de- the sword shall devour you and not depart from you. This is something else I ran into. I'm... Go ahead, go ahead, Wes. No, I was just gonna say that it's obviously we can't wash ourselves from our past sins. So you see that there's a twofold thing that's going on with Isaiah. He's saying wash yourself, and he's talking about departing from iniquity. So that would be you turning from all known sin, but in that process of repentance, then he further goes on to say, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made as white as wool. So only Christ can do that, or only God can forgive sins, but still the process of washing yourself, of being double-minded, or of thinking that light and darkness can mix, like 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that's your responsibility because that's the guile, that's the deception, that's the treachery in your own heart that you have to part from for, for, the, for the word of God to take root in a good and honest vessel, you know. Um, Second Timothy also talks about this, you know, about per, becoming a vessel sanctified and prepared for the master. You know, uh, you do that. That's your responsibility. Amen. Ben, you wanted to say yeah, something? Yeah, so I, I stumbled upon this scripture as well, and I've kind of been doing a little bit of research, but I want your, your thoughts on this. 
So this is 1 John chapter 3, uh, because in that chapter all the whole day. But verse 10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now the question I have is, and I'm trying to wrap my brain around Okay, so they talk about the, the parable of, um, I want to say, it was some, some kind of plant, and it's talking about the tares, right? So the tares are representatives of the children of the devil, right? Mm -hmm. So here it's telling you, in this, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. And so in saying that, it's a big conception that I know my workout partner, who's my boss, likes to say everybody's a child of God, but it clearly says that whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So in, in order to be of God, so if you're not of God, then you are of the devil. That, that's just the way it is. You'll also see the same thing in, in the, that chapter, verse 7. He says, uh, he says there then, he said, he, he's, verse 6 says, he that doeth righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Uh, and then the next verse says, but he that sins is of the devil. So, you know, you have to admit what the scripture says. I'm, sure. I'm following the devil if I'm not walking in righteousness. Sure. I'm walking in darkness. I mean, the, the word righteousness, uh, just to break it down, I mean, if we're talking about whoever does not practice righteousness. Okay, let, let, me, let me back up a little bit for what you're saying there. First of, all, first of all, in the original Greek, the word practice is not there. There's a the word phileo, which, which actually means to do or to execute. It's not that you practice in sin. If you had to say practice in sin, that, then that gives reference to people and gives an excuse to people that they can sin and then ask forgiveness and sin, and then ask forgiveness and keep going on and on. The scripture does not say that. It says, it says to do or devil, to execute, okay? Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not a problem. Yeah, that, but that's an important point because, let me, let me bring this out, because if you were practicing, I'd have to ask you then, well, how many times can you murder to be considered a murderer. Can I murder and ask, ask God to forgive me and go murder again and ask God to forgive me and go murder again? See, there's never a repentance, you see, from the murder or the adultery or whatever it would be. It would be like you married to a wife or, a, or somebody, or the wife married to a husband and he keeps committing adultery on her and he's because he's, he's okay because he's, he's not practicing it. He just does it every now and then. That, that's ridiculous. So the word actually is to do it, to execute. Okay. Yeah, it, I got the King James now, and so I want to relate. So it says, in, it says whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, uh, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Um, so the words are a little bit different because that practice, okay, so so I think the world, a lot of people that I, that I talk to in life, the, the whole, you know, am I in bondage to sin? I'm not, but do I stumble? I do. And I think that's a real, that, that's that a, word practice. That's an oxymoron. That's impossible. Yeah, but you, uh, because but, the scripture said, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, if you'll turn to John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, and verse, um, we'll go to um, verse, verse 34. 
Verse 34, Jesus answered and said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, that means they're in bondage. So if, if, you're, if you're sinning, you're in bondage to sin. Actually, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Whatsoever a man is overcome by, the same he is in bondage to. So if I'm overcome by a sin, I'm in bondage to that sin. And just to, while we're there in John chapter 8, remember Jesus said, uh, if you continue in my word here, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. That was the whole point of what Jesus was speaking of because he was speaking that uh, they were trying to say, we're not, we're not in bondage anyway. He said, no, I'm talking about sin. You know, but the son will set you free where you're not, you're not in sin anymore. They went on and on with Jesus trying to debate the Lord because they didn't want to listen to what he wanted to say like we talked about earlier. And, and uh, they said, listen, Abraham's our father. You know, and, and Jesus said to him, he said, well, if Abraham were, you, were your father, you would do the works of Abraham. It's like if Jesus is your, father, is your father, then you would do the works of Jesus. If he's very simple, if you're not doing the works of Jesus, then Jesus it really isn't your, isn't your God. Then they go on, and, and uh, he talks about uh, verse 42. He says, if God were your father, you would, you would love me. For I, I proceeded forth and came from God, and I didn't come of myself, but he sent me. And, and he says, why don't you understand what I'm saying? Even because you, you're, even because you can't hear, what, hear my word, he said, "You are of your father." Did you see that? The devil. He says, "And the lust of your father you will do." He was a murderer from the beginning, and and stayed not, and did not abide in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. So he says, "There, there, you got it, man. Just what you said." This is the same person, John, that wrote 1 John. So he reiterates what he said here in 1 John. That if you, that you're a liar, and he, tell, he calls it, he says, your father's the devil. You know, it's real simple. And it takes a real humbling to admit that when you're in that. I had to admit that one time in my life, like the Bible said, God opposes the proud. So if I'm trying to say, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I love the Lord because I feel some emotion that I love the Lord. Loving the Lord is not a feeling or an emotion. Loving the Lord is not passive. Loving the Lord is active. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So I know if I'm, if I'm loving the Lord, I'm doing what he says. He said, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and do not the things that I say. But if I'm, I'm not doing those things, I can, you can feel all you want. That doesn't make you love the Lord because you have some emotional feeling. Lo loving the Lord brings forth fruit of, of showing the love of the Lord by being obedient to him. I can say... I love my wife, but if I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing, I really don't love my wife. You know, I could be, I'd be doing her ill or things like that or, or fighting with her or whatever. Then I really don't have that real love for, for, for my wife. So he's talking about a real, a real love here, a real joy. But the thing is, he says in, in James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud man is going to say, man, I'm okay, man. I feel like I don't care what you say. I, I know I love the Lord. Yeah. Can we go I'm there? follow my heart. Can we go there in James? Yeah, James chapter 4. We're right close to it. James chapter 4. A good scripture. I'll be right there, Wes. Just let me clear this one up. I'll give you the floor. Look at James chapter 4 and verse, uh, verse 6. He gives more grace. Wherefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God wants you to humble yourself to what he said. That's a real humbleness. You know, like we talked about earlier, uh, Braxton, 
a, a lot of people, they want to just tell you. They don't want to listen. They want to just not humble themselves and say, you know what? I'm sinning. I'm of the devil. I'm just going to go ahead and admit it. I'm of the devil. I need some help. That's a good place to be. Rather than say, no, I'm not of the devil. But you're sinning. I don't care what it says. I'm not of the devil. <laughs> you are. That's what God's saying. That's God's word that's saying. That's not me saying that. That's the word of God. So he says, God opposes the proud man, but gives grace to the humble man. And then it says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So if you submit yourself, I asked somebody this last time, Todd, I think, up there, I says, when you submit yourself, you go to work somewhere, and you submit yourself. So what you do? What, what you want me to do, Lord? You tell your boss, what, what you want me to do that? You know, well, take that forklift, Terry, and go over there and pick that up and bring it back over here. Yes, sir. Because that's your boss, right? You submit to it. Resist the devil, and what's going to happen? He's going to flee. Draw near to God, and what will happen? He'll draw near to you. Who's taking the first step? You are. And then, and then, and then God takes care of it. He'll draw near to you. But listen to what it says. This is the scripture that Wes brought up. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. You know, some people are double-minded. They act like they're Christians sometimes when they're with you, but then when they get another crowd, they act a different way. I mean, James is right as to who, though. I mean, like, he's just right to you double-minded, calling people double-minded to me, you know. And I'm sitting there reading it. He's writing it to everyone that that, that, that applies to. Exactly. He's writing it to everyone that it applies to. I mean, and then you got this one here. Okay, so it's saying but he gives more grace, but if you're walking in righteousness, that grace from... For what reason? Grace. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Right there in, uh, in verse um, 6. But he gives more grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what that's talking about uh, he, is that grace the verse 5, he says, the spirit that dwelleth in us desires to envy. The spirit wants your whole life. The Holy Spirit dealing with you to give you sure, a whole life. I, I totally, I, so, he gives, yeah. so he gives you more, more grace. To, to come. But look, but look at what we just read. Purify your heart, you double-minded. When I said, blessed are the pure in heart, but they shall see God. So you got to have a pure heart to see God. Double-minded, we know what that is, where you, you're back and forth. You, you, you're following God and you're not following God. You, 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 ask him, you, you, you start following him, you go sin, and you, and you ask him in. So you're double-minded, you keep going back and forth. Make up your mind which way you're going to. If you're going to repent, repent. Don't keep going back and forth. Don't keep losing it and messing up. But then he says here, he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. In other words, get broken before God. That's repentance. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heavenless. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourself in the sight. That's the brokenness. Like, Lord, I don't want this sin. I don't want to be of the devil. I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that anymore. It's that brokenness. And you Crying out to God. You humble yourself. Then when you humble yourself, then he exalts you. Then he brings you up and brings salvation. Remember, godly sorrow to repentance. Repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Wes? Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, yeah, and that's in the submission. That's why it says submit to God, then resist the devil. And if you break down the word submission, it just means to be obedient, to be yieldable, to be moldable. To, to his word. So that's why he resists the proud but gives more grace to the humble. 
to kind of answer uh, Ben's concern there, because you, James is talking to multiple people, and this is what I addressed earlier in the morning group, is when each you know one of the apostles or anybody that's writing in the Bible, they're speaking to people that are just coming to the faith, people that are in the faith, and people that have fallen away from the faith, and then warning you know whoever's in the faith not to fall away from the faith. So it's not just always directed to the same people, and so that's how you have to rightly divide the words of truth. Um, I was just looking at what you were reading at uh, John chapter 8, and verse 44, where it says, uh, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And that's really what it is. It's, it's because their desires are to do evil, are to follow um, the God of this world. Um, that's why they can't hear his words. That's why you know they're the double-minded, like James is talking about. Um, and and he doesn't stand in the truth. And we we went over this out of Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, kind of the same concept is um, in verse ten. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So until you actually love the light or love the truth, there is no salvation because that's that that you have to love the truth even be able to be saved and this is why he says he gives them over to a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may be condemned uh, who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness so even in James chapter they have pleasure in unrighteousness and that's why they don't love the truth and that's why they're not saved and you know John in uh, John chapter 8 here and saying that you can't, that you don't believe me, but why are they not able to believe him? Because of the desire of the devil, their father, they do. That's what that, that that's what unbelief translates into is disobedience, is not losing your life. It's, it's really simple uh, when it comes when it, when he, you look at it in context and just see it for what it's really saying. Amen. Anything else in it? So, the biggest thing I kind of have is, um, and I think I've expressed this before, but, you know, in the world... Excuse me. Somebody's got their mic on, I think. Maybe want to cut your mic? Unless you want to say something? No, no, okay. no. So, so okay. in the world, and then, you know, what fellowship is light is having a dark world. In the workplace, I mean, there's a lot of darkness going on, effingness and this and that, and a lot of vulgarity, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and I know that the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, even if this person is living for the world, or, you know, whatever, uh, I just, I'm ha I have a hard time, if, okay, if I can't eat with this person, because that's scriptural, you're not supposed to even eat with these people, but you want to minister to these people, but if they keep rejecting you, you just got to get clean out of there and just not even entertain it with those people. It's just a strong, I just don't want to look at somebody and say, well, this guy's completely living from the world. I don't want Because I don't know if that's the correct way we're, to we're, be. We're, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we have the ministry of reconciliation, that we are the light of the world. And if the light of the world never says anything and never warns people, then... You know, we're, we're like watchmen, Ezekiel says, where we go and we warn those that, that, are, that are lost. Somebody needs to mute their mic on there if they would you know, to, to warn those that are unruly 
the Bible says. Now we know that the disciples went from place to place ministering and when they didn't receive them, sometimes they would knock the dust off of their feet and go somewhere else. Uh, and also the scripture talks about not casting your pearl before the swine. So we, we, are, we are called to do one thing and that is to minister to those that are lost. If we never, nobody mentioned you just want to get away from everybody, nobody would end up coming to the Lord because no one be, would be sharing the Lord with them. So you are called, he says, go and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, uh, he that believe in the baptized shall be saved, you know. So you've got to, you get the word out. The scripture says, 1 Corinthians 3, that one plants, another waters, and God gives the increase. So it's going out there planting seed, watering seed, and let God bring them in. But we, we, we don't know where that person is. Uh, we, can, we can tell to an extent because by the fruit you know them, but we don't know uh, what the Lord may be doing in them. So you always want to go and, and be able to share the word with them, but not hang out with them and start doing what they do. You've got one mission there to do that. But we need to even go past that when Jesus told us that we have to love our enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use us. Is it Yeah. Okay. Make sure your mic is. Uh, we're down on the bottom of your phone. Where you're listening on Skype, that they, you have a microphone there. If you'll just press that button, it will mute it. Unless you want to say something, we get you know, a lot of feedback. Okay. I'm sorry, Don. Even further, you know, uh, the, the expert in the law uh, questioned Jesus, trying to trip him up, and says, "Who is my neighbor?" And you know, the guy that he describes as the one that had uh, to have mercy on was was just a regular Joe. You know, sure. wasn't anybody special yeah. or anything. And uh, and then we're called to love our enemies. And you know, and we're our, enemies. Yeah. <laughs> our enemies more than likely uh, somebody that's been sinning against us. What's that? Jesus said we're sinners. He ate with sinners. They say that he was a friend of sinners, but the Bible says the opposite. Yeah. It wasn't he ministered to them. He didn't. Right. He didn't hang with them as, as being a friend of them. He wasn't a friend of sinners. The world says that they, they accused him of being a friend of sinners when they said that when they said that, uh, he came neither eating nor drinking, and he and, and Jesus came both eating and drinking and a friend of sinners is what they actually said. That was an accusation. But Jesus did wouldn't tell us not to fellowship with light with darkness and then right. fellowship himself with darkness. He was there. He was ministering. He, he was ministering the gospel to them. And when they didn't receive it, he left that town and went to the next town to minister. Okay, anything else on that, Ben? You good with that? I mean, I hear that a lot. Oh, Jesus hung out with the prostitutes and the sinners. No, no, he ministered to them. He, he shared the word. I hear a lot. So they, so they, they want to say they hung out. Brother Doug? Yeah. The Pharisees were let's go to let's go to if, unless there's something else on that uh, let's go to the book of James chapter two. You okay? All right. I want to continue in chapter two of, the, of James where we left off. Uh, we're going to start in verse um, verse fourteen. Uh, 
I'm going to read from verse 14 to verse um, 26. Or would somebody else like to read? This is a good reader. I'll read it. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, it's dead being alone. Yes, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you thy faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou believest, yes. I'm sorry? Thou believest. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe mm -hmm. and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only? Likewise, also was not Rahab? Too strong. Yeah, Pass it down. Yeah, I'm, I'm in verse 25. Okay. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers? And had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay. Ben's got his hand up already. Okay, Ben. What you got, bro? Don't mess around. All right. So in, in, in verse 24, it says, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified. What does that mean? And not by faith only. Okay, the question I would have to ask back to you, can, can a man be made right by faith alone? Can faith alone save a man? We just, we're just reading that. That's not done. <laughs> we're just reading that. But it's saying that, you know. Okay, well, I, want to, I want to pinpoint that because the big thing is, Linda, is that a lot of people preach, most all preachers in the world preach that you need to trust in the finished work of Christ. And if you trust in the finished work of Christ, you have salvation. That is salvation is that you can be saved by faith. It's no works at all. It's faith with no works, and you're saved in your sin in this faith. That is what most of Christianity that out there that's called Christianity preaches. Now, is that true? Can you be saved by trusting in the finished work of Christ alone? So what you're saying is that all these people are telling a lie. They're being lied to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Larry, I knew I'd get that kind of thing. Don? Yeah, I wanted to add something to uh, Linda's question about being a friend of sinners. Uh, John 15, 14 says that uh, you are my friend, and this is the words of Jesus. Mm, that's good. You are my friend if you do as I command. 
That's good. Those are the ones to be friends with, right? <laughs> also, there's a scripture that says if you're friends of the world, you're in enmity with God. God. I don't yeah, know where exactly where it's at, but that's right. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's James right. 4. That's where we were. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's good, Ben. That's good. Great. You guys are doing good. So it's a combination of faith. If you are, if you have the real faith 100%, he's going to cause you to do the works. You're going to automatically be doing it. Right. Well, let's back up on that. Is faith a work in itself? Yes. It is. So if if you really have faith, then you really have work. You can't yeah, have faith. Not, you cannot have faith without works, right? Mm -hmm. Wes, you got something? Go ahead. Yeah, um, you can't. It's it's a, impossible. Faith is a work, um, but at the same time, that's why James is defining faith without works is dead. Um, and Don and I have been talking about this. Really, you know, there's a there's a difference between the works of the law versus the works of faith. And this is where a lot of the confusion lies. Is you know, you, you got Galatians, you got Ephesians, and so a lot of people misinterpret those books because Paul's dealing with a lot of the Judaizers, a lot of the people that are trying to to take the Gentiles who have been liberated through Christ and bring them back under uh, the law. And so so that's where their confusion is, is because they think, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. In, in Romans chapter six, Paul says, should we be sinned that we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. I mean, they, you, you can't even that's get, there can be nothing confusing about certainly not. That means no, you're not supposed to sin because you're under grace and not under the law. But even beyond that, if you look at Acts chapter 10, and everybody can just turn over there for real quick just to just so that I can show you that the works of faith is throughout the entirety of the New Testament. Um, so Acts chapter 10, and just let me know, I'll let you get there for a minute. In Acts chapter 10, verse 35, it says, this is Paul speaking, I believe. It says, but in every nation... Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So one must work righteousness to be accepted by God. If you're not working righteousness, you're not accepted by him. Uh, now go over to Hebrews chapter 11. This whole chapter is about faith, just like James is talking about. So the entirety of Hebrews chapter 11 is about by faith, by faith, by faith. And so you can see that uh, faith is defined if you take the time to read this entire chapter sometime. But um, the writer of Hebrews in verse 33 says, who through faith, so this is all through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness. So worked righteousness, obtained promises, uh, stopped the mouth of lions. So there you go again. By faith, what happens? Righteousness is worked. You work righteousness through faith. And then how does it say? And how does it say that they worked righteousness through faith? Here it is in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he, uh, in Oprah, he talks about that, but uh, I'm trying to figure out where it says. Um, verse 7. Verse 7. Thank you. 
Verse 7, by faith, Abraham obeyed Noah. when he was called to go out of the place. Oh. So faith obeys. That's verse 7. Yeah. Verse 8, what is verse, uh, verse 8 says... Um, Wait, are you in Hebrews 11? Yeah, yeah, yeah Hebrews 11. By, by faith, Abraham obeyed. That's verse 8. No, no verse so, 7. Unless uh, my glasses are bad, that's what uh, I might be reading. Verse, verse 7. Verse 7 is where he started. By faith, yeah, Noah yeah, being verse, warned. Verse 7. Verse 7. By faith, Noah there we go. being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, to move with godly field, uh, fear, built an ark. So Noah built an ark. And Noah did this for 100 years. So if you're building an ark, does that not work? Sure. If you got your whole family chopping down trees, you know, putting together an entire ship to save, you know, the, the, the people that were escaping the, the judgment of God, and he's doing that for a hundred years, he says, by faith he's doing it. Is there not work there? Sure. Right. You know, right. so so um, we got Noah that's building an ark for a hundred years by faith. That's work. We got Abraham who obeyed when he was called to go out of the land where like his comfort was to go into a land he doesn't even know. So he's walking out of that land, going into another land. That's work. He's, he's obedient. Then you got, um, then you got, if it talks about Moses, um, it says when he was, he, he, he forsook, he forsook Egypt. And this is in verses 24 talks about forsaking Egypt. Doesn't doesn't consider himself Pharaoh's daughter. Basically, forsakes all the passing pleasures of sin, so that he can esteem Christ and the riches that are to come. So, so you've got faith that obeys. You have faith that works because Noah built an ark, and you've got faith that forsakes sin because Moses forsook the passing pleasures of sin. So faith definitely worked. Amen. That, that's what I got to add. Uh, go to uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you would, chapter 1. Good, Wesley. Good, good word, Wes. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. And look at um, verse 3. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. Verse start at verse 2 and go to verse 3. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Is faith a work? Yeah. He says it's a work of faith. So even faith is a work. The word faith, if you look it up, it, it comes to the word, it says faithfulness, fidelity. You see, that you're doing, that you're being faithful, that you actually living it out to faith. It's not just something that you just believe in your mind. What the scripture describes as a work of faith. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Where are you going? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 11. It says, Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of of faith with power. So he's showing that the work is, is a work of faith. Mm -hmm. Now you know in, in, in one scripture that people will use that will not use it all the way is in Ephesians chapter 2 people will say well 
I'm, I'm saved by faith through grace without works. Uh, because the first Ephesians 2 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. But if you go further with the scripture and you read the scripture in its entirety, it says, it says, For you are his workmanship, created unto good works. So that, again, that's a, that's, a, that's a faith that is bringing forth works. You're not saved by what you can do to earn salvation. You're saved by the blood of Jesus washing away all of your past sins. You cannot make up, no matter what you do, to make up or sacrifice enough to take care of the sins of the past. Without Jesus' blood, none of your past sins can be forgiven. That is what is called imputed righteousness. When you come to Christ and you ask him to forgive you and you return from your sin and you repent, Keyword: repent, that you turn from your sin, change of mind, which causes a change of heart, the mind is the person, then what happens is God, and you confess them, then God forgives all your sins of the past as though you had never done them before. You are perfectly righteous in Christ, and then you walk forward in the Lord without then, with, you, with God as a fellow worker with you, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, he, we, we're fellow workers with God. We draw nigh to him. He draws near to us. We, we're confident in him that begins the work in us that we'll finish it up in Christ Jesus. But back to, back to James, we saw that several times in the book of James chapter 2, mm-hmm. uh, the, the scripture is quoted there that um, works, that faith without works is what? Dead. It's dead. It, it, it doesn't, and he said that several times, like, why are you saying this several times, James? I'm trying to get this through to you. That if you say you have faith and don't have works, you don't have anything. He, he, he makes an example. He says it's like a, he goes to a person and he says, well, you know, the person's naked and destitute. He has no food. He has nothing to eat. Uh, he he's, he's, has no clothes. He's done. And say, listen, I've got faith, man. Go and be clothed and be this. And you don't do anything to help them. Then what good is your faith? If it doesn't have any works, it's dead being alone. Now, the scripture actually says, if you go back to Romans chapter 3, I want to go there a little bit to, to show you the, what a lot of people um, use to come against this. And a lot of people just hate, they hate the book of James. Some people don't want to go to the book of James because they want, don't want to put any works in there. But James is real clear that works has to be there. Romans chapter 3 and verse, um, uh, let's see, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Man could take, well, I'm justified by faith without doing anything. Ooh, did that throw a stick in it? No, not at all. Because that faith has works. Watch, watch what it says. Is he that is the God of the Jews only? Is it not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, it's the Gentiles also. Verse 30, seeing it is God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. It's all done the same way. I'm in Romans 3, 31. Do we then, listen to the scriptures, verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, that means no. <laughs> no. What do we do? We establish the law. That means that you are fulfilling it. Sure. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You are doing those things. 
Now watch what it says here. This is where a lot of people get confused. It says, what shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to flesh, has found. For if Abraham were, made, were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. When you leave, take faith out of it, the work of faith out, and you're just trying to make yourself right by works without the blood of Jesus, it's impossible. It's got, Jesus has to take your sins away. No, no bulls of goats or he, or he goats or nothing could take away. It's only Jesus can take your sins away. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He reckoned to him, counted to righteousness. Now to him that worketh, it is, it is the, the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a person trying to earn their salvation outside of Christ. We're talking about someone that's trying to, to uh, be good enough without the blood of Jesus. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. He forgives all your sins. Imputed righteousness is when he forgives all your sins and they blot it with watch. What he says. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And it goes on and on. But then when you read that, you always got to go back, and you go back to James. When he talked about Abraham, okay, he said Abraham was justified by faith. James comes back in verse 21 of chapter 2, and he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Yeah, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar, God told Abraham, what did he tell him? Remember the story? God told Abraham, he says, he says go. Take your son, your only son Isaac, and take him and go and offer him up as a sacrifice to me. So what did Abraham, what did Abraham do? What did Abraham do? He took his son and he took the, took the wood, took the servants, went, and they went to Mount Moriah and, and went there and went out and, and the son even answered, he says, Lord, he says, Dad, we've, we've got the wood and and we've, we've got uh, the knife, we've got everything to do it. Where, where's the lamb? And Abraham tells his son, God's going to provide himself a lamb. And then they went up to the mountain. And remember, you remember the story. God, and, and he, he tied his son down, got the wood, ready to do it, reared back his knife, and was ready to, to kill him. What great faith. That was his only son. He didn't want to lose his son. But in his mind, he knew God so much. In Hebrews 11, he says that he knew that if he had to do it, God was going to resurrect him. But he, he acted upon his faith. He had great faith in God. And that's why God, right after that, God said, Man, Abraham, I see how much you believe me. I see your faith in me. And therefore, I will reward you and make your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand of sea innumerable because you, you believe me. But you saw that he believed God, right? He believed God. He stepped out in faith. But he didn't just stay there in his house and say, well, I believe God. <laughs> and I'll just sit here and, uh, yeah, God, offer up. I'm believing that. I'm offering him up by faith. But never did anything. You see? But the faith was a work. He got up. He woke up early that morning. He took the wood. He took the knife. He went to the mountain. He went up to the mountain. He tied his son down. He ran back with the knife. He was doing it. So just like James says, Faith without works is dead. 
You see, if you have faith, you say, have faith in something, you don't do anything, your faith is no good. So people that say, well, you know, it's just faith alone, just trusting in the finished work of Christ, and don't do anything, they're still living in their sin? Are they saved? Did that, did that kind of faith save them? That kind of faith won't save a person, but God demands obedience. And, and obedience, it must walk in purity and holiness before God. And without that holiness, no man will see the Lord, he says. He is the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. Obedience is necessary for salvation. Wes? Oh, I'm sorry, Don. Don, go ahead. No, you go. Um, um, we touched on something last night, but we didn't get into it too much. But we started to, uh, with Tookie, and we were talking about uh, uh, the true purpose of God, praise, and the grace of God, and how it works, and that it teaches. So maybe we should go to, uh, what is it, Second Titus? Titus chapter 2? Okay. Yeah. Wes, can you hold that moment, or do you want to say something now? If you, do, if you need to say it, go ahead, but I'm going to go there. I can hold it and uh, get back to me whenever. Okay, Titus chapter 2. Uh, uh, the Bible says in the book of Jude uh, that Jude was warning people that they would use the grace of God as a license to sin, the lasciviousness. And that is what we see a lot of today, is that God's grace covers you and that you can sin and still make it to heaven, that's using the grace of God as a license to be able to sin. And we see that happening. That's in Jude chapter 1 if you want to look at it sometime. But we're going to go, and, and, and as Don said, we're going to describe by Scripture what the Lord says, what grace does in a person's life. First of all, the Bible says in Titus chapter 2 in verse 11, he says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, so everybody has been given the, a portion of the grace of God from their birth. Just like he says in John 10, John 1 and 10, he says, He is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man has given us a portion of light and given a portion of grace in their life so that we can do those things that Christ commands us to do. Just like he told Cain, he says, Sin wants to rule over you, but you must rule over the sin. He told Cain, You must rule over He didn't say, Well, listen, you're born with a sin nature. The best you can do is fall. So, you know, just do the best you can. No, he told him, he says, you must rule over it. So here we are in Titus 2.11, this grace that appears to all men. What does a grace do, the Bible says here? He says it teaches you. It's a teacher. It teaches you what? It teaches you to, let me get there. Y'all all there. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Because I want to quote it exactly what, like it says. Okay, later. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness, anything ungodly, you put it away, deny it, and worldly lust. What, what is the worldly lust? Remember 1 John 2.15, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Galatians 5.19, and he lists all the adultery, fornication, all those. So those would be worldly lusts that you are to not, to deny. This is the, what the grace of God does. It teaches you to do that, to deny that. So we should live what? Soberly, righteously, blameless, and godly. Live like God. What does godly mean? Godly life, if I'm living in sin, I'm not living like God, am I? I'm living like the devil. Like Ben said earlier, if you sin, you have the devil. That's not, that's not godly in this present world. 